On the White House lawn, September the 15th, 2020, the peace agreements brokered by the United States of America between Israel, the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain were signed. The peace agreements between the nations would be known as the Abraham Accords, in homage to the biblical patriarch of both Jews and Muslims. The Accords have ushered in a new era for Israel and the Gulf region, enabling diplomatic relations, trade, commerce, tourism and cultural exchange. The Accords have the potential to impact the trajectory of the Middle East. The Abraham Accords podcast will be your source of quality conversation for anyone interested in the region with weekly guests on a range of topics from all signatory nations. My name is Robert Curtis and I will be co-hosting this podcast with Fleur Hassan Nahum, Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem and my co-founder of the UAE Israel Business Council. Thank you for joining us. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Abraham Accords podcast. I'm here with Fleur Hassan Nahum, my co-host. Hi, Fleur. How are you? Wonderful. How's your week been? It's been great, but I am very excited for the next half an hour because we are both delighted to welcome our first guest to the Abraham Accords podcast, Rabbi Arie Lightstone. Um, Arie Lightstone is a senior advisor to the US ambassador to Israel, David Friedman. He is also the head of the Abraham Accords Business Summit, which is the forerunner to the trilateral fund that will eventually be inaugurated at some point in the near future. Arie has been a key player, not only in the Accords themselves, but has worked often behind the scenes on all of the US-Israel initiatives over the past four years. Prior to entering the world of diplomacy, our guest headed programs in the Jewish education world, is an ordained rabbi, and I am really delighted to welcome Arie. Fleur and I are really honored to have you here. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to hear that there's a show on the Abraham Accords. It's, uh, it's exciting well, to be the to first you, guest. Thanks to you, Ari. You're letting thanks to your uh, infrastructure, we can now do shows on the Abraham Accord. <laughs> well, I, 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 that's actually a nice segue. Thanks to actually uh, the courage and leadership of President Trump, uh, Crown Prince uh, uh, Mohammed bin Zayed, King Hamid, uh, you know, UAE and, uh, and the Kingdom of Bahrain, the leadership in Sudan. Uh, and then there's a whole litany of, uh, of team members on President Trump's team, uh, starting first and foremost with Jared Kushner, uh, my boss, uh, one of the finest people I've ever had an opportunity to know, Ambassador David Friedman, Avi Berkowitz, uh, who's been a complete and total rock star. And, uh, and the list goes on and on. Uh, but uh, when people say thanks to me, I'm like, who? Who could you possibly be talking about? It's, uh, it's just an honor to work with such incredible people on such an incredible mission. You, well, you guys are really a dream team, and uh, and it's been an honor to meet, I think, most of you. But I want to go back, Ari, and ask you, what is a nice rabbi like you doing in a place like this? How do you go from leading one of the most, I guess, the largest, most influential uh, youth movement, Jewish youth movement in uh, the U.S., to being one of the architects of the Abraham Accords? And how's that ride been? I'm so curious. Well, I did not get into medical school, so that's pretty much where it began. Um, the, the, the answer is, is that um, I've never really had a direct vision of where I wanted to get to, uh, but, and I'm not positive how well this will translate to the Israeli component of the audience, but in baseball, there's a term called win above replacement. So what is your value versus the average person in that spot? 
So we're all created for a reason. We all have a purpose that we are here. So what's our reason and what's our purpose? Um, in order to fulfill our reason or our purpose, we have to figure out where are we creating value significantly above where others would not. And, and I've tried to live my life in finding that opportunity where what I am doing is substantially better than the other person who could be doing my job, how they would be doing it. And uh, there's, a, there's a positive aspect to that, a negative aspect. The positive aspect is you rarely need to have an alarm clock to wake up in the morning. You are enthusiastic and excited about what you're doing because you know without you, this might not happen. <laughs> the negative aspect is you never have any idea how long said activity might last for. Uh, almost every job or initiative I've ever undertaken uh, has been on a six-month or one-year um, sort of a provisional opportunity. Uh, similarly so in this particular position, I never worked for Ambassador Friedman. He had never employed me. We had never worked together, as you can tell with the theme. And we were being thrust into an exceedingly high-pressured environment with um, metrics that neither of us were used to. Uh, in the for-profit world, you keep score by how much money you make uh, and how you do with your clients in his case. Uh, I, I've been in the for-profit world and I get how those measurements are made. In the not-for-profit world in the rabbinate um, and in the, the world of kids at risk and unaffiliated kids and the other places that I had participated, to win means that you need to create something that you need to create a market where people didn't know that there was a demand. And you can sense that based upon the attraction of your programs or the projects that you're busy with. So there's a metric for that. Diplomacy, it's very difficult to find a metric. It really is. Um, and so being thrust into this with tremendous um, microscopes on my boss and on his colleagues and on the president uh, to create wins where there weren't clear metrics in diplomacy was exceedingly difficult. And therefore we took this as I knew I respected him. I knew I liked him. Uh, I think he respected and liked me and we did not want to jeopardize that. So we sort of gave this a chance. Uh, and uh, and I, I can't speak for him, although I'm still here. So I assume I haven't done that poorly, but uh, I'll speak for myself. Uh, there's not a day that has gone by where I have not learned something uh, from watching Ambassador Friedman, how he conducts himself, how he thinks, how he interacts. Um, and I would say the same exactly goes for, uh, for Avi Berkowitz and, and certainly Jared Kushner. I, 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 there's been an opportunity to see and to, to grow and be inspired by each of them. Um, and again, the, the list is very long, but I don't think you guys want me just to run through a roster of people that I've been inspired by since being here. I, uh, I find that truly inspirational. And um, I think the, the, the interesting part that we'll come on to, I have a question on this, around the team and the players around you creating an environment for success. It sounds like that's something that aligned at the right time to make that, that market condition possible, shall we say. Uh, you've got to tell me, though, you were back and forth between Israel and the USA many, many times. Please tell me they let you collect air miles. So I, I showed up on my second day in office, in office, uh, second day here at the office uh, as a platinum diamond, whatever you can be on Delta, only to be informed that it is not the airline of choice uh, for this particular route. So, uh, okay. <laughs> After a bit, I, I wound up uh, succeeding in, in the world of United and then we wind up with COVID-19. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you the following thing. 
every time I look at the economic situation that we are in today, and I, I will introduce this with, there are many people who are struggling significantly today. So I'm grateful to have a job, I'm grateful to have a roof over my head, and I'm grateful for my health. All that being the case, for the hours that I work, we're not exceedingly well compensated here. This is not, this is not the business that we're in, in terms of uh, the free market on this one. And I've looked a couple of times at my bank account and, and the, the future draws on said bank accounts as the family expands and the kids grow, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I've looked like for a couple of seconds and said, hey, I could be doing X or I could be doing Y or I could be looking at Z. And my wife will turn to me and says, we can't afford that. So what do you mean we can't afford that? How's it possible we can't afford for me to go out and make more money? That would strike me as something we absolutely can't afford to do. Perhaps we need to do. And she goes, we can't afford the amount of money you would spend to be back in your position right now for a single day. And uh, she's correct. It is a unique uh, opportunity of which for all of my lifetime, and I believe for all the lifetimes of my kids and grandkids, uh, for us to have been part of this unique experience, uh, for a guy who I, I'm, I once thought I was a fancy guy who can afford business class, I would sit in the backseat middle uh, of a plane inside the laboratory if I needed to in order to do this job. Uh, it is, uh, and people who know me know that that is my least favorite seat on the plane. I'm sure I'm not unique in that capacity. Uh, but if somebody told me it gave me an extra day on this job, I would fly that flight just to keep, just to keep Groundhog Day going. It's, uh, it is, there, there is nothing more exciting than representing the United States of America. Uh, and in this unique aspect, it's just, uh, it's exhilarating. There's no other way to describe it. I really identify with that. This is not, I don't think public service is something you do for the money you do because you've got a fire and you want to do something different. You want to do something meaningful and you want to have done your part in the world to make it better, your city, your country. And Ari, since I've met you, I mean, do you remember when we first met? We had, we had a bumpy conversation. Question. I remember every time we meet. How about that? <laughs> the first time you met, you told me off for going, for not doing the, the I, I, and I apologize because I had a meeting in the States that I didn't coordinate with you um, ah, as, yes. as protocol. So I said, hi, my name is Fla, and you're like, I'm angry with you. Do you remember that? <laughs> I, I remember, I remember taking people by surprise in that I don't pretend to be something that I'm not. So I will, I will not <laughs> pretend that I've got this and, and give somebody an opportunity. I believe your explanation was a good explanation. And I believe that my control freakedness. Uh, <laughs> no, well, it was uh, the beginning of a beautiful friendship. A so it worked in the yes. end. <laughs> You've always been very, and you know, I've been speaking to you, of course, about the situation in East Jerusalem. The fact that you guys moved the embassy, of course, was momentous. But more than that, it brought the U.S. to a new chapter of being able to embrace East Jerusalem and help East Jerusalem, which I think is one of the best things that have happened in the last few years. And you've always been so concerned by everybody's well-being and the ability to um, realize their potential, whether Jew or Arab, American or non-American. What do you say to your critics when they tell you, oh, you only have one agenda and it's, uh, you know, last week people were saying to you that you have a right wing agenda. You don't care about the different people. How do you respond to that when you, when you know and I know that your interests are completely pure and are completely about giving everybody the, 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 the opportunity to realize their potential? 
Yeah, so I, I would just correct it. I don't have a right-wing agenda. I have a right agenda. Uh, and when I say right, it's a correct agenda. And it's not right and it's not left. Uh, it's not center. It's not any of those things. What I am is I'm unabashedly pro-American. And what I am is I am uh, exceedingly proud of the little uh, American flag I get to put on my lapel every morning. I believe uh, it's the prime minister and myself are the only two people who put on a jacket and tie every single day without fail in this country. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, I, I take pride in putting that, uh, uh, that pin on and, and I fasten it on. And my kids ask me, are you going to be a tour guide today? Uh, or are you going to be a peacemaker today? Or are you going to be, what are you going to be today? And the answer is always, uh, I'm going to represent America as best as I possibly can. And the only issue that we've got is bandwidth. The, America does not care any less for the person in Akko or Afula than they do for the person in Nazareth or in East Jerusalem or West Jerusalem. People ask me about East Jerusalem all the time. I, to me, I, what's it, East Jerusalem, West Jerusalem? I, it, we, we believe that the region and therefore U.S. interests are going to be better protected and more secure when the people of the region, all people of the region, are more safe, they're more secure and more prosperous. And, and we believe that across the board. The Abraham Accords are proof of the pudding uh, for that. We also believe those that people want, need to want to help themselves as well. If somebody is only interested in what happened yesterday, it's going to be exceedingly difficult to plan what has to happen tomorrow. Uh, with your leadership, um, look, we've seen Jerusalem evolve and change in a meaningful way over the past four years. But every time people look and say, but this is this and but that is that, Jerusalem's a 4,000 year old city. Uh, let, let's not rush on stuff that takes more than four months to have happened. Uh, if you look at the UAE and Bahrain and people ask why this piece is going to be a warm piece, above all else, I, I credit their leadership, I credit their vision, I credit their courage. Um, but I don't think it's particularly courageous to be allies with Israel. I'm saying, I, I don't think that's, it's like, it's like saying that it takes a lot of guts to be friends with, I never really understood that. Uh, and then I was in the UAE and they told me that they don't like to use the word tolerate. Uh, like the Museum of Tolerance is a big deal. And it's a lovely museum. I'm not uh, berating it or comment. No, it's a lovely museum. I think you can learn a lot from that. But tolerate means I need to stand you. I don't need to stand you. You're, you're, you're my brother, the Abraham Accords. We are all children of Abraham. I don't need to stand you. I need to embrace you. I need to love you. I need to figure out how you fit into my life. And that's the American philosophy. Things the philosophy of all the children of Abraham. And, and just to conclude a very long winding monologue, uh, the leadership and the courage of both countries uh, started with education. It started with teaching their kids that tomorrow will be better than yesterday. If you just want to look at the Middle East over the last 70 years, and we've got other allies and other friends in the Middle East. This isn't to disparage any of them. But if you were to look at the region and say, who has made the greatest advancements for them and their people over the last 75 years, it is difficult to point to anybody other than the state of Israel, the kingdom of Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates. Uh, there may be others, and I'm happy to be educated. I'm happy for them to join the club. It's not an exclusive club. This is a growing club and an expanding club. But if you look at those countries, you have to say, I want to buy in on those. And they're not done. None of those countries have peaked. They are all, I would say, at, um, you know, if you can still buy Apple at 50, get in on that. This is where they're at. They are scratching the surface of their potential. And part of that potential is being unlocked because of the Abraham Accords. We are sitting in COVID-19. We are all looking for something uplifting. Uh, 
the most uplifting thing if I'm an Israeli citizen today is I see that I've unlocked a third of the world that has never been a market of mine. Now, yeah, that'll affect the guy who owns Wix and it'll affect the person who's got the cloud, but it'll also affect the guy who sells falafel and afula. Uh, because in this type of prosperity being unleashed and, 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 and the lady with the bakery in East Jerusalem uh, and, the, and, and the person who's, uh, who's a, a student in Nazareth, it will rise uh, all, not only hopes, but practical opportunities for all people in Israel and the neighbors who don't take advantage of it, shame on them. Just zooming out again, I'm thinking macro, where do you see the momentum for the next stage of the Accords? And um, if we are obviously now probably looking at the next stage of um, a presidency with Joe Biden, um, where do you see the focus for the Trump administration in those final weeks vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Accords? Yeah, so I am tremendously blessed. When I put this flag on my lapel, I don't look Republican, I don't look Democrat. I do look to my president. Uh, and to my ambassador and, to, and to, to Kushner and Berkowitz and Secretary Pompeo, of course, uh, as our bosses. And uh, not once has anybody said, let's do this because of the election or because of the midterms or because of uh, final day in office or four years before a final day in office. Uh, we even had a conversation with a country who said the best time for them to make peace happened to be Tuesday of election day. And uh, it turns out that that was not the most ideal time for them. But I'm a million percent convinced that if Tuesday at 3 p.m. was the right time for these countries to come together, then the President Trump would have taken time out of Election Day and, and been part of uh, uh, um, bringing peace together in the region. Because peace knows no politics. Peace is a policy that's a legacy. But I think there is a real politique that we should all be aware of, that there are changing spheres of influence that this changing of the guard will have. And... Should we be looking to some somewhere like Saudi Arabia who may be thinking, well, there is a period of time where we can change the reality on the ground leading into the next four years? Yeah, so I, I, I have made a lot of money uh, in the past by understanding that a piece of real estate today is worth more uh, if you reconfigure it like that. I was pretty decent at, at prognosticating of that. Prognosticating what world leaders are evaluating with lots of different data endpoints is not my number one strength. Uh, and therefore, uh, what we'll do is continue to tell the truth. And the truth is, is that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel and the Golan belongs to Israel and that peace is going to be better when we do it together and that there are good players in the region and there are bad players in the region. And the more the good players go ahead and bond together, A, the stronger bulwark they'll be against the bad players in the region, but B, the greater direct benefit they'll have to their citizens. So I, I, you've got people listening to your podcast. They are interested in the Abraham Accords or they pressed the wrong button when they were looking for a podcast. I'm not sure which one it is. Assuming it's either of them, uh, it's up to them to go ahead and determine whether this is a cold piece, a warm piece, or blazing hot piece. That piece, the leaders have done their job. The leaders have created the platform where the people can go ahead now and execute. Now there's a responsibility on behalf of all peoples here. I'll speak right now because you guys are coming from Israel. I'll speak very bluntly. Uh, Israelis have an obligation to treat this relationship uh, as a Zionist enterprise. And what I mean by that is when they vacation in the UAE or in Bahrain or in Sudan, treat it as though you are representing the state of Israel in the way that you want the state of Israel to be represented. Uh, when you are doing business there, 
Treat it not as where your bank account is your number one priority, but everybody who goes there has served in the IDF and has served in the reserves. They understand what it means to sacrifice for the country. First, look about how your perception is as an Israeli walking into a country where previously you were not invited and determine whether the way you have walked in, the way you've interacted, the way you've emailed, the way you've communicated, the way you've spoken is befitting of the person who spends over a month of their life on an annual basis giving to their country. Uh, because I would, I, would, I would make the argument that this is as valuable as suiting up in a uniform in terms of the way you conduct and comport yourself to go there, both on vacation and in business. Yeah, so that's on the Israeli uh, side. This is a form of national service that we should Correct. be promoting the state of Israel brand through the behavior and activities that we as business people and people looking outward um, should, should do. I, I, will, I will just point this part out. I have not seen that broadcast publicly from your leaders, nor from your business leaders, nor from your media. And I would tell you that that is something that's really important. And, and I have heard from the UAE and from Bahrain uh, a commitment and understanding to them, to their people, about this cultural divide that's going to have to be bridged. And, and there's a lot of immediate love but let's be honest, every relationship takes patience and nurturing and care. And, and I have not seen anybody call this their national responsibility to make sure that this is something. I know the U.S., we've invested an enormous amount. And we've got no additional benefit other than the fact that it's good for our friends. We will get a peace dividend because the region will be stronger and safer and more prosperous. But I don't get paid more any more or any less. Uh, and, and, and I would like to think that, that there are Israelis who care about as much of this as a legacy uh, as I do. I'd like Ari, to you're 100% right. My fear is, um, of course, what could happen if we don't go there with the cultural sensitivity of the place that it deserves. I've spoken about this. Um, we're doing at the moment promotional uh, videos of how to behave in business, how to behave as a tourist. Um, the prime minister spoke about this uh, about a week ago, saying that he he's concerned that the tourists will think that it's a party town like uh, Ibiza or like Ayanapa, and that we have to come in with a different headset. And also in terms of business, I think a lot of Israelis culturally are very impatient, they're very transactional, and they wanna go for a week and think that after a week you're gonna sign an MOU. And of course, it's a very different culture there and people, it's about building relationships. I come from that part of the world where it's the same, uh, but in Israel things, you know, the pace here is very fast. And I think part of what we're doing in the business council uh, that you know is to try and bridge that gap, not just of business to business, because you guys set up a very interesting infrastructure of people-to-people -people peace, which we've never had before within Arab country. Um, but of course, you know, we're doing peer-to-peer, business-to-business, and that's one of the, I think, one of the missions of the business council that, that we set up was to actually bridge that cultural business gap and everything else in between. But my, my, my question is, um, you know, you, the, we've got this Abraham Fund. What uh, has been done and what is the purpose of the fund? Tell us a little bit about it, because we, we've read a bit here and there, but we, we're not very clear who it's supposed to be helping and what it's supposed to be doing. And as the person who is currently in charge, we'd love to know a little bit more about that. So let, let's, let's zoom out, as, uh, as we like to say, from the fund in specific. And let's talk about the U.S. 
uh, desire and the regional desire to make sure that the that the accords stay both warm and warmer. In order to do that, what resources do we have? So we've got soft power, we've obviously got hard power, and we've got economic power. So there are a bunch of different ways to go ahead and look at that. Uh, number one is, what are the unique traits that different parts of the region have? Israel's become an energy regional power, uh, uh, almost ironic uh, in the stage of the Abraham Accords. Um, Manama, uh, Bahrain, traditionally has been an energy power, but has also become a fintech power. Um, uh, tremendous emphasis on AI, um, uh, historically a big diamond and jewelry uh, center. Uh, the UAE is not a monolithic UAE. Uh, actually, it's more diverse in some ways than Israel is from a um, exporting culture. Uh, you've got Dubai, which is uh, a, a country unto itself from the myriad of um, opportunities that it presents. And then you have Abu Dhabi, which is a uh, very different uh, piece. Uh, the key is how do we balance all of these industries, all of these opportunities and all of these intentions uh, and try to bring them into a place that sows continued harmony, but also yields the competition that is necessary to create growth in capital markets. Uh, so one of the things that we have is we have the De Development of Finance Corporation of the United States of America is able to issue loans, equity, and political risk insurance for projects that meet their requirements. Uh, and I would encourage everybody to just go check out the DFC, our Development Finance Corporation. If you have a company or a project that you think qualifies, uh, it's a robust entity. Uh, we are doing uh, investments under the heading of the Abraham Fund here in this region. And we have due diligence, many of them. We anticipate uh, closing on some and providing meaningful impacts uh, to companies and projects here in the region. Uh, while we're sourcing these deals, we, the United States, have certain metrics and requirements in order to do a deal. UAE has theirs, Bahrain has theirs, Israel has theirs. I hope to God Sudan gets to the point where they've got sovereign wealth that they're looking to invest elsewhere in the very near future. They're not there today. Uh, while we're looking at deals, like any other sort of family office, for lack of a better term, uh, there may be deals that cross my desk that would be good for Israel. Or good for UAE or would be good for Bahrain. What's unique about this is we're all willing and prepared to look at deals together. And as we look at those deals together, we find that we're able to talk about our philosophies and our opportunities and our challenges together. And we're able to address those again together. And that's one of the premises behind warm peace. Um, the nexus in between official governments, which is uh, sort of epitomized by this fund, uh, and, and private business, which is going to be the engine that drives the success of this relationship. So the fund is one of those places where the rubber uh, meets the road on that. Uh, one of the other ones was we had our Abraham Accord Business Summit, where we uh, brought together uh, many businesses, uh, many letters of, letters of interest were signed about five weeks ago now. I'm curious how many have sold, and I'll do the diligence on that. Uh, but here... One of the goals of the Abraham Accord Business Summit was to make sure that people who do not know each other well yet have an opportunity to meet the most reputable ones uh, on each side. Uh, there is confusion. Uh, there's, there are opportunists. Uh, and, uh, and there's also uh, many, many, many legitimate players 
who some of them feel crowded out by the noise that's created by others. So I would just encourage everybody, don't evaluate the success of the Abraham Accord, certainly not the economic piece on what you see in 2020 and 2021. Uh, you're you're scraping the very very tip of the iceberg at this point in time. Uh, the meaningful relationships will will weigh out over time. You know, uh, eighteen months, eighteen years, eighty years. We're going to look back in 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 a decade from now and remember, twenty twenty was the year of COVID nineteen uh, and the year of the Abraham Accords. Two things that forever changed the course of the world. One happened to us, and the other we created for the world. Um, I also think that we're going to look back and see that the recovery from COVID-19 under the leadership of the Trump administration uh, shortened what could have been a three to seven year process and was brought it to bear in under 12 months. And and, and history uh, will smile uh, based upon the the execution of of President Trump, Vice President Pence, who led the uh, the COVID-19, but also uh, Jared Kushner and Adam Bowler, uh, the CEO of the DFC, who who built this Operation Warp Speed and, and and got Americans and the world what they needed when they needed it. I think what you're saying is firstly so insightful, but secondly, it's, you know, people talk about peace through strength. This is peace through economics and creating the environment and the framework to enable those conversations at all levels to, to, to flourish. And I think where the U.S. has been smart this time and the, the, the style of negotiating to this conclusion has been around facilitating that framework to enable these conversations. And the, the fund is almost like a sort of governmental VC looking at how yep. we can bring these, these companies, countries, and people together. That's right. It's again, if there were embassies, if there wasn't COVID, some of this would happen more naturally. Free markets will win out. I will make one comment on, on the peace to the strength. I think it's in everybody's interest that, that the good guys here are strong and get stronger. Um, this is a region that, that smells weakness, sees daylight, uh, and, and reacts strongly to it. Um, it, it, is, it is in our naked American interests, uh, but it's also in our moral um, fiber to make sure that our allies stay strong and, and get stronger. That's, uh, that's, uh, nobody should think for a second that the region is fully stable yet. I, I remember in briefings just two years ago, uh, eight months ago, talking about the regional challenges that Israel has. Uh, Israel still has regional challenges, significant ones, as does the UAE, as does Bahrain, as does Sudan. Uh, just some of those challenges have turned into opportunities, which should scare the heck out of some of those other challenges. They, those challenges should be scared. Do, do you see within the accords themselves, countries like Egypt and Jordan who have their own peace treaties from obviously decades past coming into that and, and you know smelling the the roses as it were of this new axis and certainly if you looked at a map it would make absolute sense in terms of that that axis of Abraham Accords countries versus the burgeoning issue of of Iran and their proxies. It's not an exclusive club. We're happy to welcome everybody, even those who have been junior members for a while. Um, I, I remain optimistic that the better part of this region is in front of it, not behind it. Um, you see Israel, and I think Flora has shared this with me numerous times, just the amount of engineers you need to keep fueling the economic growth here is, is hardly sustainable on its own. That's an opportunity for Jordan, for Egypt, for the Palestinians. Uh, it's an opportunity all the way through. Uh, this region will smile upon people who are looking 
to go ahead and create a safer, more secure, prosperous region for them. And, and the United States of America will frown upon, as will, I believe, history, uh, those who are looking to sow trouble and dissent from around the region. I completely agree. I, I just think it's fascinating that, uh, and I heard you talk, I think we, we were in a Zoom together and you talked about something, a hinge, something that changes, uh, just change of mindset that changes history forever. And you were part of that. Just please put me into your, into your head when you know that this is gonna happen. I mean, we've been talking about projects for a long time, but you know, when somebody tells you, okay, they're about to announce that they're going to be signing this peace deal. What is the first thing that goes to your mind? You must have been incredibly proud or just, I, I can't, take me through that. How did, you, how did you hear about it? How did you feel? What did you say? What did you do? Well, one of the greatest moments uh, I've had was having the honor of being in the Oval Office when the phone call was made uh, with uh, the Crown Prince, Prince Mohammed bin Zayed and, and Prime Minister Netanyahu and obviously President Trump. Uh, and the, the excitement in the room was palpable. Um, I'm really, really palpable. And I, it's, it's Jared's story to tell, and I'll, I'll let him tell the, the, the moments in that room, because uh, my guia low, it's, uh, it's, it's his uh, to say that. But I would tell you, just being part of the conversations, part of the negotiations, uh, most of my responsibility has been in the implementation uh, so that's been exciting. I'll just sort of share this on a hinge. And Winston Churchill describes various different occurrences, a hinge of history where the world could have gone this way or that way. Uh, and, uh, and based upon the decision, all of world history was changed. I believe the Abraham Accords is one of those hinges of history. Um, I had the distinct honor of being on the first ever El Al flight to Abu Dhabi. Um, I've been on every first flight but one. And I think I'm gonna live the rest of my life regretting that I wasn't able to figure out how to get on one of them. Uh, but that's fine. We, we'll talk about that another point in time. Uh, but uh, I've never ever heard a standing ovation uh, for the announcement of a takeoff announcement. Uh, and I remember sitting on the flight uh, with Jared and Ambassador O'Brien and, and the Israeli delegation, again, Avi and others, uh, when the El Al pilot announced uh, flying direct to Abu Dhabi over Saudi Arabia. Uh, with an LL plane with the blue star of David in the back. Uh, what an emotionally exciting moment uh, when we crossed over into Saudi airspace, uh, when we landed. Um, and everybody's seen that picture, I think, of, the, of, of those in Abu Dhabi waving on both the entrance and on the landing. People don't wave at me very often when I land or take off a plane. Uh, and for all of history, I will remember that. So that's, uh, you know, pretty, pretty gosh darn exciting. I have uh, goose pimples just thinking about it. What an amazing place to be in history, Arie. And it's, I mean, I, I just, your parents must be so proud. That's all I can say as a mom. <laughs> <laughs> my brother's, my brother's a PhD. So I, uh, oh, there's, come there's, on. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's always higher. in the Middle East is up there with a PhD, Ari, for God's sake, you're a rabbi. <laughs> there, there, there's always higher we can go. Look, we're not done. And this is, this is actually is important. I've learned this from both my parents and my wife has reinforced this. And Ambassador Friedman is both the best and the worst person to ever work for. He's the best person to work for because He's a mensch uh, and he's a great person. He's the worst person to work for because I've never once had a day of celebration where we've accomplished something. We'll have an opportunity to do that sometime in the future. 
but he says every moment that we've taken time to pause and reflect is a moment that we're not planning and executing on the future. And, uh, and uh, while that is personally challenging, because there should be moments to pause and reflect every once in a while, uh, it's been his wisdom and, and drive that's enabled us to continue uh, pushing forward. And that, that comes from the top. I don't, I don't think President Trump has taken an off day uh, since being in office. And, and his dream and his goal has been to be able to change the world to be a better place. And I, I think that he has succeeded in ways that were unimaginable four years ago. I think what, what's interesting is you're mentioning a lot of names and a lot of people who have done some really incredible work. Um, here in Israel, obviously, we're famed for our startups and Reid Hoffman, founder of LinkedIn and big VC guru, often says that people do tours of duty um, and that they are able to achieve great things when the right people and the team come together. I think this is what we have seen in what you've mentioned, whether it was Prime Minister Netanyahu, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed, President Trump and the advisors that were around that the stars align to create this. And I don't think we should underestimate the power of personality in making this all happen. Yeah, I mean, it is the, the, the uniqueness of this moment is uh, unique is underselling it. Uh, the camaraderie, look, I'll tell you this, there are not secrets that are kept in this country. And when I say this country, mine or yours uh, at all, the fact that the world was shocked August 13th with a phone call in between MBZ uh, Bibi and, and, and President Trump, I apologize for using the informal name, but Crown Prince Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed and Prime Minister Netanyahu and, and President Trump uh, demonstrates to you the quality that the team was, uh, the team is, team will be. Uh, there's nobody else uh, who's kept a secret like that uh, in a non-wartime uh, situation uh, in my living memory. And that's because all the people that I've mentioned over and over again, it's not about name dropping. It's about people who work together as a team for a mission. And uh, not a single one of them is trying to stab the other one in the back or to, to pro get promoted for their next job. Or uh, again, I, I've said this very clearly. Uh, peace in this case is not politics. It's a policy. And it's a policy that's going to live on well beyond uh, any of us and any of us listening to this right now. Uh, the world is going to be different. Uh, and that'll be better for your kids and for my kids and, frankly, for our grandkids. It's very rare that any of us have an opportunity to participate meaningfully in that. One year from now and maybe five, ten years out from now, what's the vision of what this region looks like as, as a result of the Abraham Accords? One year out is complicated to prognosticate. There are a lot of moving pieces. I don't know where COVID is out uh, and, and, and various different other issues. I would tell you within the next decade... Um, with the correct leadership, I think that you can have meaningful peace uh, throughout the Middle East. Um, and there are other regions of conflict. This has been the one that's attracted the greatest amount of attention. Um, I think that all peoples in this area, Jews, Christians, Muslims, all nations, uh, Israelis, Palestinians, uh, um, uh, Iraqis, uh, Jordanians, Egyptians, Bahrainis, uh, Emiratis, uh, Yemen, Yem, Yemenites, uh, uh, Saudis, et cetera, et cetera, Omanis, I'm not deliberately leaving anybody out, certainly Sudanese, have the opportunity to leverage this unique hinge in history to have a better future than they've had as a past. And, uh, and I believe the leadership and the people will determine the trajectory that they take. Now, all of that, is under the umbrella and platform that the United States of America provides. Um, 
I, I, I hope and I pray that we continue to provide both that platform and that umbrella. Uh, for those who said this was easy and was a setup from a while ago, my response is, so why didn't you do it? Uh, and my response to the rest of the countries around the world, if you haven't yet bought in, buy in. This is a big deal. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than them. Uh, and uh, and it's, it's, again, the fact that somebody would minimize peace uh, is is... It's an insult to the future of the kids of the region. Uh, you don't like the leadership? Don't like the leadership. No, nobody's asking you to come play poker, uh, you know, or Panoply or whatever it is that, that, that you're planning on doing. But we're asking you to invest in the future of the children of this region. And the children in this region deserve a better future, all of them. Uh, and they're going to get there by following the ones who've created a better future. And that is uh, Bahrain, Israel, UAE. And, and that's where it's going to go. And so the, the opportunity is immense. It really, really is. Um, I don't know whether we're going to get there in a year or in five years or in 10 years, but we're going to get there. The, the, the roadmap has been laid out. Uh, I'd, like to think, uh, I'd like to think that it will be followed. Ari, just one last personal question. That's not fair. <laughs> Does this uh, experience make you want to run for office and be as crazy as uh, the rest of us here? <laughs> uh, no, running for office strikes me. No, I... Uh, I, I have to tell you, down here in the mud. <laughs> I have to tell you that that service to country is something that is so incredibly exciting. It's uh, so incredibly important. Um, out of all of the things that I've seen that the UAE, Bahrain and Israel have in common that America does not yet have in common is those three countries have a national service mandate requirement and opportunity. And I, I, I listed in that order. I might be looked at as a requirement or a mandate, but truly it's an opportunity. Um, if you're not willing to invest and to give to your country, I'm not positive what you think that your country owes to you. And, uh, and we could all learn about that. That's what America First is all about. Uh, let's invest in our country so we can ultimately be able to take care of our people and then take care of the rest of the world appropriately. We, we, but if you don't believe that you, can, that, that you are obligated to give to your country, uh, you, you're looking at it backwards. What is your country going to give to you? Is it, I, I don't know who's raising those people, but I mean, it's, it's a very difficult premise to think that, that somebody owes me something. Uh, we owe the United States of America, just like an Israeli owns, owes Israel and an Emirati owes the UAE, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's my hope and desire that my family have, have realized the value of service. Uh, and if service ever smiles upon us again, I think that we will run headlong into it uh, with all the, the bumps and bruises that it comes. Um, and I'll, I'll just leave this for your listeners out there. Um, this is very exciting. But understand that the, that the politicians who are leading your countries, your cities, your areas are normal human beings. It's not a blood sport. I don't know what TV shows you think that you're watching where your goal is to rip them down as human beings as opposed to disagree on policy changes. Look at yourself carefully in the mirror before you decide that you're going to speak about somebody who's taken the ob opportunity or obligation to run for office and treat them like you wouldn't treat your brother or your sister. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's, it's mind boggling. Uh, that we need to continue to have that part of the conversation. But, uh, but um, uh, public servants are public servants. And uh, we're not all perfect. Uh, and we're not all excellent. But uh, getting to work with you and, and, and 
I got to tell you, man, I, I'm concluding with this because I have to go. But I have to tell you, working with the Bahrainis on the other side and the Emiratis on the other side and the Sudanese on the other side, there is something exciting about sitting across the table from them and doing this. This is not negotiating like an MOU of like water usage and like a sewer system. And I'm not belittling that. That's a really important job of keeping cities and states and countries running. But, but this is a meeting. Nobody's ever canceled on one of these meetings with me. Uh, not because it's America, but because it's new, it's exciting, it's different, and it's exponential, not incremental. And so many of us in service spend most of our time doing incremental stuff. This is an exponential chance to move the ball down the field. So uh, every should get in on this game. It's so much fun. Well, Ari, we're so privileged that you were there, uh, that it's your energies and it's your vision and it's your context of history uh, that has led this with, with many fantastic leaders. And we just hope and pray that you remain in public service in whichever way you choose to do so. Look, with all of those words echoed, uh, especially echoed what uh, what uh, JFK said, and certainly, um, you know, given the insights that you've shared, it's been an absolute privilege to hear from somebody who was on the inside. So, Ariate, we really appreciate your time. Thank you for being our first guest on the Abraham Accords podcast and wishing you every success. Thank you for joining Fleur and I on the Abraham Accords podcast. Remember to subscribe so you can be updated on more episodes.